Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Now open in Dundalk beside the Dundalk Retail Park. The nearly new sale is now on at Blackstone Motors Dundalk. You're very welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. I could see it coming a mile away. I just knew it. I knew it. All the talk last week. Ireland are great. Ireland are going to be the world champions. This England team are useless. They're all over the place. This Flint Jones hasn't a clue. And what happens, yes, when we start to believe the hype, when we go out at home and we think we're world beaters, by God, that England hammer us, pulverise us, pulverise us on uh, Saturday. It was uh, disappointing, wasn't it, from an Irish perspective? But look, maybe it's a little wake-up call we needed in the rugby world with the World Cup coming up uh, later on in the year. But uh, I think that's San Ferian to the championship for us for this year, considering we have to go to Wales uh, the last weekend of it. But there you go. That's sport for you, isn't it? Just when you think you have it made and something comes and bites you in the bum. Anyway, rugby fans, I'm sure you're over at this stage and looking forward to the game with Scotland. Uh, we are with you for the next five days between 1.30 and 3.30 each afternoon. And just to remind you, if you'd ever like to send us a message out of ours or recommend a guest or story to us, send us, please, an email to latelunch at lmfm.ie. Now, the border is an issue that's been debated as no- ad nauseum at the moment. Will there be a hard border? Won't there? Many of us are worried at the prospect of a hard border on this island again. I can well remember passing through army checkpoints on many occasions, the custom stops and the traffic delays and all that that entailed. It wasn't pleasant and I'm sure many people do recall it and and that was from many perspectives when you went to a border crossing and there were soldiers there armed and they interrogated you and were asking you what you were doing and all that went with that and even being stopped and delayed, it was shocking, shocking times. Look at it now and look at the way it's been since the border was really dismantled. Hasn't it been fantastic? Because you have to say, psychologically, this is one island when you don't have a border. And that's the biggest thing about a border. When there is a border, there is division. Anyway, over the weekend, let me tell you a little story. My attention was drawn to an incident on the border that happened just over two years ago in June 2016. And in the context of the present uncertainty, I thought it would be a good idea to let you hear Marie tell you her story. So let's return to that day. It's not that long ago, June 29th, 2016, at around midnight on the border. Here's Marie. Yeah, and the wedding's a night. 
And after the dance, I was coming home. I was by myself. I was coming back into Dundalk and uh, coming round by the border there. At, before you come to Colourville, the border there, I was just just on the road and just looking and just making sure where I'm going and that. Uh, I saw a light and in the ditch, we we light, but we passed no marks. It was, all I noticed then was about six people banging in the car at the boot and scared the life out of me. I didn't know what I was. Then I, I panicked and I kept driving and then I noticed this thing on the road. Uh, like I don't know what I was. It was like a tiny thing. I don't know what I was. And um busted four tires on me of the car and I was shaking in it and when I think back of it I am still in shock in it, you know. Even all these years later? Yeah, yeah. It was very scary so it is for like not thinking like that would happen. Like um, I was going down there all the time, up and down all the time to Blaney and going down to my brothers, mine kids in Mullahan. <laughs> I never saw a thing on the road. Never saw a thing like that in my life. And when the cars uh, stopped dead when they put out the stinger over, I think it was the stinger they put out and busted four tyres. They came to the window and they said, oh, are you all right? And I I was shaking. And I said, what's going on? What are you doing here? Who are you? I put the life in me because they had, they had their coats right up to, their, up to their lips, up to their mouth, over their lips. And then they said who they were, asked me where was I coming from. I told them I was coming from the dance. Oh, yeah, we often stop people from the dance. That's what they said. Then they said to me, like, you you failed to stop. I says, well, well up our way. I says, the police is on the road of a checkpoint. I said, I never saw that before. I says, I'm coming down here a hell of a long time to be in the ISIS. They said to me, well, you failed to stop, so uh, you'll have to uh, sign a paper. I had to sign the paper to say it was my fault. They kept me for so long on the road. They're waiting for a sergeant to come. I have to stay there. I was in the car. I couldn't get out of the car. My legs went and I couldn't breathe. I was I thought I was going to take a heart attack and um, I had to ring my daughter. He says, do you know someone that you can ring back? That's what one of the police said to me and I said, my daughter, I said, I couldn't get my fingers on the mobile phone because I was shaking. Every part of my body was shaking. He said, give me his I'll ring. I said, give him and I just showed him and he rung. So he did. The daughter got an awful fright so she did. It was about nearly five o'clock when I got home here. I had to ring back someone down there and being a girl so she could take me home. The car had to be parked up for the night. So oh, your car would be all right. It was next morning I had to go down and get towed home, take it into the nearest uh, garage, and that was in Dundalk, there at Castletown. Uh, uh, Fagan's, is that what you call that place? The pub there. I had to put the tyres on it. But it was enough. I never went down to Blaney. It took me a whole year to go back, back down that road again. And I do have to go down. To, I do go down to see my mum down in the nursing home. I go down to see me, my brothers, buying the kids. I, I, I had, I went to the Carrick Road. You know, it's just so fair. I couldn't go to the dances anymore. The date was the 29th of June, 2016. It's not that long ago. Two years ago, yeah. I had to go to the doctor and everything. It's an awful experience. I mean, I, I, I've been wishing anybody, but an awful thing to happen to anybody. Along with then, a car, when they had me on the road, a car passed flying. And I did say, make a mark, I said, so there's a car flying there. And they never stopped it? No, they didn't stop that. The only thing you saw coming to Colourville was a little red light in the ditch. Yeah, you hardly see it. I, 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 didn't, I didn't even see it, in fact. I, I said, what is that? 
they should be out in the road and, you know what I mean, with, uh, with their hand or stopping, you know what I mean, if they wanted to stop the people. And you drove on because you weren't sure who it was. You didn't have an idea. You saw men then, but it turned out, who were they? Was it the police service of Northern Ireland or the army? It was the police. So it was from, uh, from the north. OK, the PSNI in Colourville yeah, that yeah, stopped you. Yeah. And you, of course, moved on because you, you hadn't a clue who this was. It must have been shocking when you hit that stinger. Oh, God, I thought the car was going to tumble over and come back down, you know, because it was going over by the ditch, you know, the tyres got busted. Like, lucky I didn't tumble over, I've been honest with you. And what time was this? And like, uh, we just said the dance, like, starts early, like, in the wedding. So you was talking about nearly half, after half twelve, you record one. Like, it's over early, the dance over there, there you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and you were kept there for four to five hours? Oh, yeah. I was in shock. I couldn't breathe. I nearly died, so I did. I thought I was going to be taken into the hospital. Obviously, like, the car has to be repaired. You're in complete yeah, shock. I had to take the car in my expense and pay for it and get the tyres on it. The car was never the same after I, I had... It never went right after that. And you had to sign that paper to say, that waiver to say that... Yeah, so it was my fault because I, did, I didn't see, I didn't stop to see, I mean, I didn't stop. It's my fault. I did see something like a wee thing in the ditch, but I passed no marks. It was like a cigarette, you think. I didn't know what it was. There was about five or six banging the car and put that eye for me. Like, you know that area, you're from down there, and history tells us, it could could it be uh, the RUC, if you're going back years, the IRA, the UVF, you, you weren't sure who it was. I wasn't sure who it was. I wasn't a well after that, I even had to go to the doctor and everything. And who came to get you, a friend of yours from Blaney, was it? Ah, uh, yeah, it was a friend, just came, and I rung a friend and just came and took me and left me home. After that, I, all I wanted to do was get home. You never reported this or talked to the Irish authorities about this or anybody no. before this, no? no? This is the first time you've really talked about it, is it? Yeah. I suppose in the context of the possibility of a border being re-established between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland at this time, it's quite timely that you do remind people of, of, of what oh, it yeah, can I, be like. I talk, uh, sorry, I talked to my brother there and he, uh, he, I was going down to minus kids but I went round the long way, so I did, and um, to Monaghan there, and um, telling him all right. But he he went and just checked it out uh, two weeks after, and he says uh, he said he thought he could see them. He said he saw a wee red light in the ditch. That's what he said to me. But but I never uh, never reported to anybody else. You know what I mean? Like I just put up with. You have been back on that road since, haven't you? I went back there in our old game because I have to face my fear. I'm still a very nervous person after all that. I ain't one bit surprised. It's a shocking story, really, and in recent, in very recent memory in 2016 as well. And funny, it happened round about the time that the Brexit vote happened in the UK. Anyway, you're still not the better of it. No, I'm still not. When I think back and the memories and it comes, I mean, it comes back and now and again, like I, I nightmares and everything after that. Oh, it was just unbelievable. Went to the doctor and then I had the doctor had to give me something to relax and be able to sleep and everything. Like it definitely was an awful shock to get. An awful shock is right. I thank Marie for telling her her story. Uh, and I, I bring it to you this afternoon just to say that that's not from the troubled times or when there was a border there. That was June 2016 along the border at Cullerville. A woman driving home, minding her own business. There was no checkpoint on the road. A little red light in the ditch, and suddenly. 
you know, you just hear the fear there in uh, Marie's voice talking about it, even at this stage, a couple of years removed from when it happened. And, you know, can you imagine, I'm just thinking like if there was a border, like the, the return of a border and patrols on the border on both sides. And, you know, it's a... Uh, it's just unimaginable, to be honest with you, if, if, if it does come back. And I, I hope that everybody works and continues to work so hard that, that it won't happen. You know, I just wonder if anybody else has anybody else experienced anything like that along the border. It's a very strange one. There was nobody on the road stopping as they should be, uh, the way it all happened there to Marie. If you have anything to say, if you can... If you've recalled an incident like that in recent times, not way back, but that's very recent, 2016. Anybody else experienced anything like that along the border? We're right around the border here in the northeast. It's a real issue for us living here. If, if you have anything to say or comment on that, I'd love to hear from you. 86 658 is the WhatsApp or text number, or you can call in on 1850 Do you remember, or Louise... Did you ever go north in your younger years when the troubles were at their height, or was it a place that you visited much? No, like growing up, um, I would have heard about it, but not really. I remember going up once, and it was just literally across the border. There was mm. some kind of a shop there that you could get loads of everything and anything there. And I do remember kind of there must have been about ten kids in the back of a little van, and soldiers everywhere, mm. everywhere. Mm. No. And even at that, like, it stays with me. You know, that sort of way. And it would have been only literally one time in my life. Yeah. Uh, well, I was up and down quite a bit, I can tell you. I remember going fishing one time uh, up that uh, neck of the woods and uh, we were heading towards a tower. There were t- uh, watchtowers and, and the army were in those. But I didn't realise they had listening equipment. But uh, one of the guys in the car with me said, don't say anything. Don't talk when we come near the border. I'll say nothing because they can hear what you're saying. And if you, you know, people be saying, getting annoyed with the soldiers and we shouldn't have to do this, being Irish on our own island. And, and you can imagine, somebody mm. might just pass a remark in the car, but yeah. cars were pulled in and held mm. up. I remember being stopped another day. We were going to a football match and we were taken out and we were served. Uh, you know, we had nothing. We we're only going to to the match to cover the game, and that as well. I remember the the customs posts. You know, at times of the year when people would be moving either way, the tailbacks. Oh my God, when people were being checked and that type of stuff. It's just like people today who are not of the time and weren't alive. Yeah. You know, younger people wouldn't understand. And I know we've moved on an awful lot, mm. but still any kind of border, it would put me off going up the north yeah. to forest parks or anything like that, mm. which we go quite regularly. Do you at the yeah. moment? Yeah, we, there's beautiful forest parks up the north. Absolutely gorgeous to go with the kids, biking, picnics, anything like that would put me off going, it would. If you were being checked and stopped. Oh, yeah. And even you think of what the kids would be thinking. Yeah. They know they don't know anything about this, no. and it works both ways. Going up to the north, coming south from the north as well. It's free. It's free movement at the moment, and God Almighty, how that has changed. As I said, psychologically in the country, right? There are two traditions on this island. We understand that, but really, with no border, it's like the one island. It's great, you and, know. And I drive to well, we drive up to Donegal quite a lot. So will mm. we have to go the long way around now? Oh you know, no! We'll don't have say to that. From yeah. would it be more of? A hassle then to just go the long way and yeah. go through Sligo. Yeah, that just way. remind me about that again. Some people actually had such a fear of going into the north, they actually did go that long route when they were going to Donegal, yeah. which is another point that we don't want to see. Nobody wants to see this. I just hope there are not people who deep down would like to see a border back in Ireland. You know, I really hope that isn't the case because it's not going to be good for anybody in any sense of the word. 
Um, we don't want uh, anything happening. And like that incident that happened, Marie, there is is shocking to think that happened in a couple of years ago. And uh, yeah, that was a regular occurrence. When you had borders, remember, there were chases on the border. People were hopping in from south to north, north to south. Both sets of forces involved. Uh, the British forces, the army on this side, the Gardaí. You know, you'd be afraid that would be life again for us. You know, here and the impact it would have on the whole country, but especially here in the northeast. Anyway, let them get to it and get something sorted out quick. That's all I say again. We don't want to go back to those days. Let's head towards our first break on late lunch this Monday in the company of the Eurythmics. Sweet Dreams, the Eurythmics, 1983. We're going back a little bit there, aren't we? Annie Lennox and who? Who was it with Annie Lennox, Louise? Who was the other in Eurythmics, do you know? Dave Stewart. Good woman yourself. Ah, You're the queen of pop, I always knew it. Yes, number two in the UK, number one in America it made, and it really was their breakthrough single. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio, back in three minutes. Just staying with Brexit for a moment because I'm joined on the line now by a lady who's been my guest on the show on the show previously. Quiva O'Grady Taggart from the Confidence Clinic is with me. Afternoon, Quiva. Hi, how are you? I'm very good. Now, the reason I'm talking to you is uh, we were talking about Brexit and, uh, and an incident on the border at the start of the show there that happened quite recently with security f- forces on the northern side. But you've been uh, writing lately and I've been reading you saying that we shouldn't worry about Brexit at all. Why? Well, I wouldn't go as far as to say not to worry at all. I mean, it is on a lot of people's minds, including my own. I can't stay away from the news at the moment because mm. I'm waiting to see what happens next. But I suppose what I'm trying to say is that we can't live in fear because if we let our fears take hold, then it's just a very unpleasant, not a, not a very nice way to live if we let our fears take over. And it happens quite often. Our memories just bring up fears, things that have happened to us in the past. And it's not to say it's going to happen again. Mm. So um, it's not that it's not a very real yes. worry, but I just feel that it, there's a lot of scaremongering. There's a lot of worry about things and it's just not a, not a pleasant place to be when you're when you start to worry. You know, your heart starts to get faster. You start to kind of you know you sweat a bit, or you kind of start thinking about the worst. And those of us who would suffer from anxiety, you go there in your head and you think, "Oh God, what if that happens again? What if that happens to me?" You know, I heard the interview um, the lady Marie who who had that terrible incident, and mm. it does sound very shocking. But she said, "I faced my fears. I got back on the road." Yes, which I have to say, you know, fair play to her. I have to applaud her. She knew that it was going to live with her and live in her if she didn't go ahead and get back on that road and do that journey again. Now you so can... Important. Uh, it is very important to say, and, and you're right to say it, and, and that's a good point you make, that you p- picked that out there from, from what you said to us earlier on. The other thing is, you do have a very personal family link with the north of Ireland. I do indeed. Uh, my grandmother was from Coleraine, and my dad was brought up in Coleraine until he was seven or eight, and um, he moved down... My granddad had been working in Dublin. He was from Sligo and he had been working in Dublin, saving hard and, and buying the family a family home. And they moved down then to join him when he, my dad was seven or eight. 
And so there's there's eight children in the family, and the first few of the children were were you know born and brought up in Coleraine to a certain degree. But my dad, being the eldest, was there the longest. So when he came down, he didn't have any Irish. He hadn't learned Irish in school, so he had to um, start again. Or he kind of felt, oh, you know, he didn't have a clue what what the language was. He's, he's learning it now. Would you believe he's actually oh, great. 71 and he's learning it now? But he felt he was at a disadvantage when he came down to, to join school in the Republic because they didn't. He didn't have any. But yeah, we have a very strong link. I mean, we wouldn't have gone up a huge amount when we were young because of all the troubles. You know, there was an awful lot going on. Um, you know, in the 70s and 80s, as everyone knows. But we did go up a few times. Yeah. And what about now? What is your mindset today? Our Louise was saying a moment ago, she moves freely up there. She loves the forest parks in the north. She just goes up there without even a thought. But she was saying to me, I don't know whether you heard her saying that a little bit earlier on, that she'd she'd maybe think twice, you know what I mean, if the situation changed. Yeah, I, I love going up. I have to say, I love going up to the Giants Causeway and I love that North Antrim coast and we did it last year. The whole family, we went up for my dad's 70th birthday. He showed us where he grew up in Coleraine and we, we looked at um, all the beautiful sites along, you know, the Rope Bridge and um, the Dunluce Castle and the Giants Causeway. And his, my, my dad's grandchildren got to see it all. And he got to tell us the story of where he went to school and his neighbours. And it was it was a very, very special trip. And I, I do feel I have a close affiliation with the north and, and with that part of the country. And I love going up probably don't go up as much as I'd like to but I've three young kids and I probably don't do a lot of things I'd like to do um but I I do feel it's 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 going to be you know it would be terrible it would be a terrible thing for everybody I don't think there's many normal sane people that would want a border there and I think both sides seem to be very um you know strong in in saying we're it's not going to happen or it can't it can't happen so I would hope that it's going it's just a thing of these you know of conversation and that it will never re-emerge I would hope that we will all still be able to freely go up. I went up a year or two ago to the Titanic in Belfast to show the kids, you know, to, to do the tour. Mm. And we did some shopping, got some camping gear in a fantastic shop up there. And it's it's great to have it on our doorstep and to be able to go up. I think some people may shy away from it. Um, they feel it's still a little bit different up there. But I, I think it's great and I love going up and I hope that that continues for a long, long time, yes, forever. And that it will work and, and it does for a lot of people. Some still, probably not the other way around, people coming from the north down south as well. But but, but you say in, the, in your work and, and, and what you do, our fears come from our memories and experiences and you can understand that, you know, uh, the generations that experienced what I spoke about as well, where you were stopped and checked and you had customs and all that type of stuff. There's a real fear there too. Absolutely. I mean, it's our, our fears are very real. Uh, it's not to say just because they come from our memories that they're not real. They're very real. Um, I coach children with all sorts of fears, you know, some of them, um, afraid of dogs or, or mice or, you know, all sorts. There's weird and wonderful things we, we can be afraid of. And, you know, the people around the border, or people living in Northern Ireland and even people living in the South, there's a very real fear because, they, you know, a lot of us have lived through a time where there was a lot of violence and a lot of very, very sad, harrowing stories. Um, some people, many probably directly involved in them. So it's it's hard to let go of that kind of stuff. You know, that's, our memories are, you know, a big part of us. But I just feel that our fears can grow from living in that place in our head where we, we constantly go over the thing that, that gave us the fright. Um, so, so, for example, I, I think I wrote in the in the, the article I wrote about Brexit, I was telling about a boy who, who was afraid of a dog because he had stuck his fingers 
his hands in the dog's, you know, around his eyes and mouth, stuck his fingers at the dog um, and poked at him. And the, the child was about two. He didn't know any different. The dog bit him, nipped him, and he got a fright then. For there, from then on, he was afraid of dogs and he was actually afraid of anything with sharp teeth. So his memory and what he learned at that age was be afraid of dogs, don't go near any sharp teeth, stay away from them. So he would have nightmares when he'd see even cartoons on the TV with sharp teeth, anything with sharp teeth, like, you know, Finding Nemo, a harmless cartoon, but there's a shark and he has sharp teeth. So the child would be fretting in bed and not able to sleep. So this is when he was older, eight or nine. So try not, I try to make the link with them and let them see, look, do you see what happened? You were two and you made uh, the wrong connection. You made a connection between dogs, be afraid. Sharp teeth, be afraid. When actually you were only two and it was you poking the dog in the face <laughs> that yeah. frightened the dog and that's why the dog reacted. So now that you're all grown up and you're a big boy, you realise that you don't poke the dog in the face and therefore you have nothing to be afraid of once you're safe and you don't antagonise the dog or you check with the owner. You know, you see, you try and teach them that our fears come from a place when we were afraid and that protection is put up. And it's the same with, with, with what I'm talking about in terms of the North. Yes, absolutely. These things were very real and there were horrible, horrendous stories and families have lost loved ones. Loved ones. But to go back and think that we're going to live in that time again, I don't think is the right way to think. I think we have to look at all the progress we've made, look at the goodwill on both sides, that both parties don't want a hard border and that we will there will be solutions found because there's an awful, hopefully a lot of good work being done to make sure that that will happen. So in general, it's not worth worrying about what might happen. That's what you're saying, really. We have that's to deal exactly with the practicalities. It. Yes, that's exactly it. And, you know, you get pe- I get parents all the time. But what if and I'm worried that this will happen? I'm worried that that will happen. But you can't deal with it until it happens. So there's no point in, you know, fretting about it until it actually happens. If if, God forbid, it was the case that it was going to happen, then we start, you know, then start worrying. OK, that's not to say you don't do practical things. Obviously, there's businesses out there and they're saying, well, we have to prepare, obviously prepare for the worst. Um, that's that that I, I understand that. But in terms of worry and in terms of living in that place where you're always in your head thinking it's going to happen or believing the worst is going to happen. I don't think that's very a very good place to live. I don't I think it's very unhealthy. And I think we have to just remember to ground ourselves, take deep breaths, let it go. If a thought comes like that, just let it pass. Um, and there's lots of action being taken, I think, on, on lots of people's parts to make sure that we don't end up living in that time again. Yes, and important to get that message to younger people as well and children because we're being bombarded with it. And they are not immune for it, I'm sure, either in their lives. They're just hearing about it night, noon and morning. And it's nice to put yeah. a perspective on it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for joining me on the show. Thanks very much. Take, Take care. care of yourself. Bye-bye. That is Quiva O'Grady-Taggart there from the Confidence Clinic. I was just spotted that tied in with the first piece there, what she was saying uh, about the whole thing. God, will it never be over, I'm sure most people are saying, and will we hear the end of it? Well, not for the foreseeable future, it looks like. Back to the rugby. I mentioned at the top of the show, um, we got a wide or a rude awakening at the Aviva on Saturday from our near neighbours talking about Brexit and somebody says, that's what happens, Jerry, when you poke a sleeping. I just can't make out the end of it. I presume you're a sleeping giant, you're saying there about England. Well, they have won the World Cup and they are a powerful rugby nation. We'll take it as being giant. If it's different, you might let me know. Late lunch, LMFM radio after the break. Simplified living, how to declutter. 
The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Now open in Dundalk beside the Dundalk Retail Park. The nearly new sale is now on at Blackstone Motors Dundalk. Let me ask you a question. Why are so many of us hoarders, reluctant to get rid of possessions and clothing that we simply never use? It's obviously a big issue if you take the numbers following Marie Kondo as an example. Since she's gone on to Netflix, it's gone wild for that woman. And I have to say, I did talk to her back when she published her book initially. Um, Clutter can lead to other problems besides taking up space. It can clog our minds, potentially leading to stress and other uh, issues as well. Lorraine McKeever from Kilberry has discovered the benefits of minimalism, which we're going to talk about for the next while because she's with me in studio. Lorraine, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Jerry. Let me throw a quote back at you to start off from you. You say, the less stuff you have the easier life becomes. Explain. The less stuff you have, the less things you have to mind, the less things you have to clean, the less money you have to spend to maintain the things you have. So the less stuff you have, the less worries you have. And you know this from experience. You've lived this. Very, very much so. Yes, (laughs) very much so. From about 2009, I had my first baby and we had to get all the stuff that you need to get. All the books told me that I needed all this stuff to have for my new baby. And then we moved house four times in two years. So I saw all my stuff on delivery trucks four times. And there's nothing quite like seeing all your belongings shoved into a back of a van to give you a big wake up call, especially when the delivery man is raising his eyebrow at you and saying, you've a lot of stuff. Mm. I didn't think we had a lot of stuff. But when you had, but we had a lot of stuff. Did moving house, just as an aside, did actually moving house uh, enable you to declutter in a way? Did you leave stuff behind you? Did you take everything with you from place to place? Every time I left something behind. Every Every time. time. I don't know if I left it behind for the right reasons. I think there was a little bit of embarrassment. Um, I didn't want the delivery man raising his eyebrows at me. Um, and I suppose it was it was sometimes I had to make two trips. So it was cheaper to leave stuff behind. But I also started realising each time I moved house, there was more and more stuff staying in boxes. We didn't need it. And I got to the stage where I didn't even know it was in some of the boxes. <laughs> so I would just pick the box up, bring it to the charity shop, and I wouldn't look at what was in it. I never missed a single thing that I got rid of. Isn't that just a salutary lesson for everybody? Mm. We have so many things. Like, I'll give you an example. Yesterday we were at home having a look at a few things and there was a press with jackets in it. Mm-hmm. And they'll tell you, in my house, I love jackets. <laughs> I'm, I just <laughs> buy a jacket. Is. I could buy a jacket every weekend, you know, to yeah. wear. I love But look, you can't. Anyway, went to this press and I just said, do you know something? We haven't opened that press, I'd say, in about two and a half years. And you'd want to see what was in it. Mm -hmm. Now, surely all that stuff could go. We wouldn't miss that, would we? No, you wouldn't miss it. And you can also ask yourself the question, was it creating a problem? Because it was in there behind a door. But it probably was on your mind. And that's probably why you hadn't opened the door. Mm. Because you knew what you were going to see when you opened (laughs) the door and you knew it was going to make you feel uncomfortable. So that's just from my point of view and a small example. For you, how minimalistic are you now? How, how, do you do you run like an, on a needs be basis? I do as much as I can. I have a family. I have small children. Yeah. Um, we have a house that's too big for us. Like 
lots of people in Ireland do. So we have room to store stuff. I think if we lived in a smaller house, we would have less. Um, I My family are a little untidy <laughs> and I am extremely untidy. I'm an extremely tidy person and I can't bear to see stuff lying around the Does place. Does that get to you? Very much so. I have no, I have empty, I, I, my, my house looks minimalist to a lot of people. There's nothing on the counters. I have very little clothes. I have empty drawers. I have empty presses. But to me, that's the way it needs to be for clarity. Mm. I can't stand chaos. I can't think properly. I can't work properly. I can't be the best person I am when there's lots of stuff around me. It doesn't seem to bother my family as much. You know, so what would you get by with? Like shoes are a great thing for ladies. You know, ladies have, ladies have lots of shoes. You know this yourself. Would you have many pairs of shoes? No, <laughs> how many? No, I would probably have about three pairs of heels mm. that I don't wear any of. I have a pair of long boots, a pair of short boots, and a pair of runners. And that's it. Sandals for the summer. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, that's it. it. And I, that is it. I think that's very good. Yeah, it is. But it wasn't always that way. But mm. I realised after I had my children that I actually don't like wearing high heels. So I stopped wearing them. Mm. So I feel that actually decluttering allowed me to really look at what I have and really ask myself, do I want to, do I even want this? Why am I even wearing this? Is it big for me? Is it for fashion? Is it because everybody else is wearing it? So I really, really looked at each thing in my house and said, do I actually need this in my life? And you got rid of what you don't need. I got rid of everything I don't need. Yeah. But I didn't look at it as getting rid of stuff. I looked at it as what, not what do I need to get rid of? What do I need to keep? That was the big game changer yeah. for me. And it's a different way of looking it's at it completely, as well. completely. Because I didn't feel positive. like I was giving anything away. I didn't mm. feel like I was losing anything or sacrificing anything. She's I'm going to go home and I'm actually <laughs> going to... You know, you got me even thinking more because I'm with you all the way on this. And I live with somebody who loves to gather and, uh, you know, wouldn't be like me. And, and I'm guilty of it myself, I have to say as well, for mm. holding on. But I'm coming more to the realisation that I have to declutter. I'm going to go home uh, over the next few days and I'm going to write down how many pairs of this, that and the other I have just to bring it home to myself. Yeah. But here's the thing. You feel better for this, yes? I do. In I really way? do. Many ways. I can go out and live my life and not worry about spending hours cleaning a house or we we can play games. I can play games with my children before they go to school because we know their shoes are by the door. We've already packed the bags the night before. Their uniforms have been laundered. They're ready because I have all these little systems in place and I can just live and enjoy and work and do everything I like to do. And I'm not a slave to my possessions. I'm not a slave to my house anymore. I was. I would never go back. To but you're highly organised. I wasn't always highly organised. I had to go through years of chaos of moving house and having babies and there's been depression in our house and there's been lots of things that we've had to overcome. And in a way, I suppose you have to go through the difficult times to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And that's what I hoped by setting up my business that I would do. I'm hoping to take a little bit of the pain out for other people, that they don't have to hit rock bottom like I did to see that actually my possessions are causing a big problem in my life. 
I don't think everybody needs to hit rock bottom to get out of that situation. Mm. Organisation, though, is good. And obviously, what you said from a young age, you are like that as well. You're neat, you're tidy, you yeah. like to have your ducks in a row. But yeah. it helps, I'm sure, when, 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 you, when you live in this minimalistic fashion. Yeah. And, and your business is called Simplified Living. So I take it you, you're, you're helping others and you have helped others. I yes? have helped. I've helped. I've been working on this really all my life when I think about it. Um, it's as my husband said to me earlier on it's it's like an apprenticeship that you're putting I put in a lot of time and effort and to me it's not just about going in and clearing out somebody's house I actually want to help them change their their thought patterns I want to organising and tidying is all very well and good but you need to learn lessons from why did you get to that situation in the first place or you'll just go back to being that way when I leave the house when I work with somebody I don't ever have to go back to them I want them to learn the lessons and continue on, you know, with the processes that we've set up in place. Mm. It's important to learn a lesson from what we've done and not not to feel ever feel embarrassed or ashamed that yes. we have too much stuff. Mm. And people, do you mean people that push things from here to there? I'm guilty of that at times myself before yeah. I actually finally let go. Is that yeah. a good middle step? Look, I, the way I look at it is I would never go in and tell somebody they need to get rid of everything because what... It seem, might seem like clutter to me is very necessary to you. One man's <laughs> me, rubbish another. is another man's treasure, or <laughs> whichever variation of the, the quote you want to yeah. use. So it's all relevant to each person. You mentioned Marie Kondo. Um, I have been interested in Marie Kondo for about 10 years when she was still in Japan. And I love her process, but I don't think it always works for everybody because Japanese people are very disciplined. As Irish people, we're a little bit more playback, and I think we need a little, we need to be just a little bit easier on ourselves and not throw out everything. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, she is now. There's a way, and she has a method, and she needs you to follow it completely, and it it is quite strict. Um, where does this come from? Do you think you know? Is it is it driven by the consumerist philosophy that pervades? Absolutely. Today, yes, absolutely. You cannot walk outside your house without seeing an ad. You know, you wake up in the morning, people pick up their phone. Already they've been told, buy this, buy that. This will make it better. That will fix this. This will make you into the person you've always wanted to be. We are constantly being bombarded. And it's hard to not buy. It's it's hard not to consume in some shape. Even if you're not buying clothes, you're consuming something mm. at all times. It's hard to get through a day without consuming and buying and adding to the clutter. We're not just not letting go. Some people say it comes from the famine. We had nothing and we we find it hard as Irish people to let stuff go because our, my, my grandparents wasted nothing. Mm. The newspaper was used as Luro. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you know, so everything was kept. Cardboard boxes were kept, bags were kept, jam jars were kept. And we're still keeping that stuff. But we buy convenience stuff now. We don't need the stuff we're keeping anymore. Mm. You don't need... That's an interesting analysis, isn't it? It's it's bred into us. It's, it's ingrained from those times. Yes. And yet you would say, when you look at the American society or rich Western society, and we're not doing too bad in this country, a lot of us either, uh, that that is part of them for maybe some other reasons. But you'd pinpoint that with the Irish psyche. I think so. I don't think we're too far behind the Americans, no. to be completely honest. I think mm. if we really got wise about it, I just think we have a lot of stuff, but we're very 
we're very organized with our stuff mm. we're great at putting stuff into presses and or tidying it away <laughs> well listen I want to come on to that in a minute I want to take a short break uh, you're listening to what Lorraine has to say today she has a new business called Simplified Living we're going to talk more after the break are you a hoarder or a minimalist what category do you fit into this afternoon uh, have you anything to say on this? Have you cleared out? Do you love all your possessions and you want to be surrounded by them forever and ever? 086-1800-658 is the WhatsApp or text number. Or you can call in now on 1850-715-958. Or don't forget, all our social media platforms are the boundless and endless now in LMFM. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Talk to us. Talk to us. Lorraine McKeever has simplified her living and that's her business name now as well. I love it. So let's get down to brass tacks here. You arrive into somebody's home and they want help for you to clear the place and get it into order and that they'll have less. Where are the big repositories of people hoarding of clutter? Is food a big matter? Food is a very big matter. Um, and gone off food is a big matter. Jars of spices, condiments that could be years out of date. Um, I'm not sure if people are just not going through their presses or there really is a psychological issue where they feel they need to hoard this food. But yes, food is a big issue. Um, plastic containers. <laughs> it's a massive big one. Is it? <laughs> Uh, the Chinese garden in Navan has a lot of answers when it comes to uh, See, it's so good, containers. that's why, you know. But uh, I know what you're talking about. So plastic is a big issue as well. Plastic is a big issue. Come on, clothing. It has to be the biggest, is it? Clothing is enormous, yeah. It's absolutely enormous for the majority of people, male and female. It's not even just a female female issue. And children, the amount of clothes that some children have, they never get to wear a lot of it. So what do you do with this? Like if you have lots of it and you convince someone to say, let go, mm-hmm. are the charity shops the option for? I try, I, I try, I said to you off air, I try to bring the bag of clothes that people have filled with me because they have a tendency to empty it when I leave. They want, they, they start getting anxious about what they've put in the bag. They might need it, they might want to wear it again, they take it out. So I try to bring the stuff to charity shops for them. But I find it very hard to get the charity shops to take the bags off me. They take them off me, but it's 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 unwillingly they take them off me. Why are charity shops? They're full. A wash. They're full, and they have no storage, and they don't know where to store the goods. And the 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 hangers and the rails are jammed with clothes. I don't know if the issue is that we're not buying enough secondhand. That we're but I would imagine it's we're buying too much new, mm. and fast fashion has a lot to answer for. We're buying a jumper for five euro where it once might get a hole in the elbow when you wash it and then it just it's, it's no good it's gone so it's the recycling no of clothing is something that's going to have to be looked at big time you know to take it and recycle it and reuse yeah, it again and also to re-educate ourselves about consuming buying buying yes. we buy too much we buy way more than we need yeah you go you go to dublin for the day and you forgot your jacket you buy a jacket mm. <laughs> because yes. you got colds yeah instead of just being a little bit more organized and having a jacket mm. wrapped up in the bottom clothing of your books cds magazines all that type of stuff do people hold on to that and another one you told me about and uh, one i never thought of cards cards um gift cards um birthday cards christmas cards valentine cards I've been in houses where they go back. Some of them should be in the museum. <laughs> They're so old. And I understand that some of them have a nice message on them 
or they're from somebody maybe who has they've lost somebody who's passed mm. on but the majority are not the majority are not and they don't they just they're to and from there isn't even a message on them but people find it nearly impossible to throw them out mm. They find them impossible to throw them out. Bank statements going Bank back statements, years and years. All sorts of office papers. People are afraid, are they, just to let go I in case? I think they're afraid because I think we're not sure what we're supposed to be keeping and we're not supposed to be mm. keeping. And, and, you know, most things are going online now. So you're not sure. Are you supposed to keep a paper copy? Are you not? It, the, the idea of even going through those bundles of papers is absolutely overwhelming. Absolutely overwhelming. Who wants to read through old bank statements? <laughs> Who does you know, this? But right? you're afraid to just talk yeah, about yeah. looking at but them. But they can the go. Time. We're saying today they can go. They can go, yeah. You, the, it's all online. Mm. You can order any statement you need online. So what do you say to people today that somebody listening today and says, I am in such a rut here. I'm surrounded by all this stuff you're talking about. They should give you a shout, I know, for a, for a start. I'll let them know that at the end. But how do you begin the process? What's the first move? The first move is to acknowledge the fact that you have given a personality to your possessions. You've given them ownership over you. You've given them too much, um, let's say, too much glory in your home. And you need to acknowledge that it's just possessions. They're just things your good china that's in the cabinet that you don't want to use. You should use your good china or your good coat. You should wear your good coat. You shouldn't save anything. Life here on earth is very short. Use the good stuff. Don't hoard it. Don't put it away. Get rid of your chip mugs. Take out the good china. Stop waiting for someone to call around. You are so, so right. And I'm delighted you said that today because so many people get something and they're holding on to it and holding on to it. And the day may never come, unfortunately, that you get a chance to use it or wear it. I think that's a brilliant, brilliant piece of advice. The thing you mentioned there when you, when you moved houses and you wrapped up the boxes and you didn't open the boxes and then you realised, that's another thing you... This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
advocate, isn't it? Mm. Advocate for people that if you put stuff away in a box, say stuff that you're unsure of, lock it away for how long? I, I think it depends on the individual, but I would say, I think a season. So it would, let's say we're talking about clothes. So there's no point putting away winter jackets and then realising, oh, sure, I don't need them. It's really warm. OK, so it needs to be season by season. If you're putting away winter clothes, you need to obviously maybe six months. It's mm. a good time. Mm. What, I, what I suggest is you, if you're really unsure about something, you really can't make your mind up about it, put it into a box. Don't label it. Seal it up. Put it away. Say three months. Three months is a good is 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 an and easy, if you haven't if you haven't gone near it in that time, if you time, don't know what's in the box, ship that box out and get it out of the place. It Great. needs to um, it needs to go. You don't need it. Uh, <laughs> here's some uh, some reaction from listeners for you today, oh, uh, <laughs> Lorraine, on the show, Jerry. I used to throw out all my cards, but wish I kept some now with mm-hmm. names of loved ones who have passed on. And yes, uh, Lorraine certainly said that as well. We understand that there are ones that you would want to keep, but people keep everything. Yeah, they do. I I find with my children coming home from school, they draw lots of pictures. And I feel, I, at first I thought, I can't throw these in the bin. But then the pile of pictures and art that the kids were bringing home was growing very, mm. very big. And they never looked back through it. So what I started doing was taking the ones that meant something or the ones that were special to them and I scanned them in on my computer and I have a copy. So I still have, I do throw my children's artwork in the bin. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I scan some, I have some there and we do keep some. And you know what? I actually frame some. And hang them up the wall well, and make them really special. But I don't keep all of them. Okay. And I only keep the special cards. You must be psychic because a WhatsApp message has just come to say, <laughs> I have tons of art from my children, but mm. don't like to throw them out to offend them. So that's what you do, as you said there now. Yeah. That's the easy way. You can get rid of it. Yeah. But once you take images of it, you have it forever. On Facebook to us just now, if you hold on to clothes, Lorraine, eventually they'll come back into fashion. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> some will, but some you might be a little bit wary of. Will you fit into them? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's, a, that's another good question. But well, thank you. I understand what you're saying. And of course, we will say there are classic pieces of clothing absolutely. that you don't get rid of, that, that you will need. <laughs> that's so right, Jerry. I have so much good cutlery from wedding presents. I'm afraid to open them in case they'll be lost. Oh, come on. Open them. Use them. Get cracking with them. That's the message today. <laughs> now, you also, you know, besides this as well, I was reading one of your recent blogs there and you were talking about about uh, the beginning of the day, getting up early, getting organised, and it really is very important. Absolutely. Why? Fundamental. Because preparation saves time. We know this. This has been spoken about for hundreds of years. All the greats, Einstein, Franklin, they all spoke about preparation being key. And it might seem a trivial thing to get ready for your day, but it's actually, it's the most important part of your day. And if you can do the prep work the night before, then you're actually already ahead. The minute you open your eyes, you're ahead. You're ahead of yourself. You're ahead of the day. You can actually get up and relax and enjoy instead of constantly rushing into the, the rat race, as we all do. Even I do it myself. I'm not, I'm not perfect. If I, if I don't prepare the night before, I find that we're, we're already setting off on the wrong foot the next morning. I get grumpy. The kids are grumpy. That's just not the way I want to live my life. 
So a good message today to finish up. But get up early, get started as well. Be organised from the night before and you'll see a big, big difference. Tell us about Simplified Living. How do people find out more about you, Lorraine, and it? Okay, so I have Facebook page as we all do and that seems to be the easiest way for people to get in contact with me but I also have a website where I post blogs and even if you don't get my services there's lots of information and I'm going to keep adding to that information because I want to help as many people as I possibly can Um, obviously people can ring me or email me. All my information is up on my website. On simplifiedliving.ie. So simplifiedliving.ie. Lorraine McKeever. All the information there is there if you'd like to contact her. She knows about it. She lives it. She's been through it. And I can tell you, she's looking a million dollars on it as well. I wish you well with this. And it's Thank something I, I, I do like. I have to say, I think we are just snowed under uh, yes. with possessions and clutter and it's bombarded at us from every angle and really it's time we started to think about this and make a change and I'm delighted to uh, meet you on the show this afternoon and wish you well from Simplified Living Lorraine McKeever thanks a million for joining us Thank you Jerry. thank you for having me The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors now open in Dundalk beside the Dundalk Retail Park the nearly new sale is now on at Blackstone Motors Dundalk Question for you how do swallows born in Ireland find their way to southern Africa? The cuckoo chick, reared as an orphan, navigated its way thousands of kilometres to its winter feeding grounds. I could go on and on about our migratory birds. There are explanations, there are reasons, and the man to reveal all about our feathered friend's remarkable navigational abilities is with me on the show today. And he's returning to late lunch. And I'll tell you one thing. I'm delighted to have him with me. Anthony McGeehan, it's great to see you again. Lovely to be here. Thank you for joining me. Now, this is your third book. Previously, you had Birds Through Irish Eyes and Birds of the Home Place. And this one is called To the Ends of the Earth, Ireland's Place in Bird Migration. You were saying to me, and I'm going to give, let them into a little secret here. We were talking just before we came on and he said to me, writing this book was like, what did you say? An A-level an A-level exam. Let me tell you, he's pla- passed with a straight A. He's a straight A student with this one. Anthony, congratulations. I love the book. It's brilliant. Let me ask you this. Migration of birds from Ireland away from these shores and to the shores you cover in this brilliant work. Is it a fact that when birds leave us to migrate for what we call our winter and tough springtime, is it food that's taken them to other parts of the world? Well, yes, it is, because uh, survival is the name of the game here. So if you imagine a a swallow, which was raised in an Irish barn last summertime, you know, by it gets to September, October time, uh, insects are becoming few and far between, the weather's getting colder and the nights are drawing in. So if you're an insectivorous bird, you're going to starve. So they have to leave. And uh, when they fly south, obviously everything changes, it warms up, daylight lengthens, lots of food. So that's the kind of the obvious answer that you can understand why they leave. But then the flip side is, why should they come back? <laughs> Which I was just going to follow on with. That is the real question, isn't it? And why? Well, it's fascinating because uh, when they're sticking with swallows, when our swallows are down in Africa... Guess what? They're rubbing shoulders with about 10 other types of swallows which live in Africa year-round and don't leave the continent. Uh, but our swallows kind of are you know, a bit smarter than that because they realise that if they come north in the springtime, all the conditions which suited them in the breeding season are back. 
And those conditions include longer daylight, an abundance of insects, and that means that the Irish swallows, if they come home, they can raise not one family but two, maybe even three families. So it means that they have got maybe, say, a dozen offspring. And uh, offspring, another way to look at them is, is the kind of the old-fashioned word infantry. And infantry really meant, meant the youngest soldiers, and therefore they were the least experienced and the most expendable. So unfortunately, it's a tough life being a young, young swallow. So if your parents are trying to ensure that the species survives, if they pump out you know, three broods, a total of about 12 young, the hope is that one or two of them will make it back. So they need to have that kind of uh, investment in offspring to try and make the journey. And it is a horrendous journey for them. And you say, well, why on earth do they bother? I can understand why they come back. I can understand the food, the longer daylight and everything else. But birds seem to, or nature seems to go by the kind of, you know, dictum. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And if you're born into that kind of lifestyle and you succeed and produce the next generation, well, guess what? That next generation are going to are going to repeat what you did because it works. So some birds draw a bit of a short straw and... Uh, Quite a lot of Ireland's birds are migrants. In fact, if you really wanted to sort of pare it down, there's very few birds which are which are here and really don't leave Ireland through the course of their lifetime. So most of them are globetrotters. So you could argue, put it another way, if the swallow tribe evolved in Africa, if Africa is the headquarters of the swallows, our swallows are really African swallows, which have discovered a handy place to breed. Uh, to get back home to spend the winter in Africa <laughs> and rub shoulders with their mates. Uh, so that's kind of uh, a, a, a gear change that, and it's probably a more correct way to look at what uh, Ireland swallows do. They come here to breed but they go back home for the winter. Isn't that interesting? Handy and all those thousands of kilometres. Here's the thing now. You say about the infantry men and women that, that fly away from here, the young from, from, say, the last breeding season here, and they headed off to Africa. How do they know? What is it? Is it instinct what that brings them all the way from Ireland to Africa and vice versa back here on the other side? Yeah, in- instinct is a kind of a coverall because it, it kind of uh, it sweeps all the mystery under the carpet. You know, it's easy to say, it's like watching a, a movie and you see some special effects and somebody says, how did they do that? And you say, special effects. You know, it's like a whodunit. You've got that you played the Joker card. So instinct uh, has been a bit of a fudge for centuries uh, because people can't explain what is, is, uh, what is what's in the black box of instinct. And sticking with swallows, they're actually one of the lucky birds because... They're one of the few whereby the young ones actually do hang around with the parents and they all go together. So, you know, mummy and daddy can lead the way. So uh, swallows gang up in flocks, then they all get ready to go and then they all twitter off into the night sky and fly off. And uh, they kind of take it easy on the journey because they fly by day and then they rest up at night. So they don't fly a huge difference. But they get there, it's like the tortoise and the hare, they get there by sort of, you know, stages. So... By, that's actually the exception. Most birds, particularly small birds, such as small songbirds, they have a real baptism of fire because when the parents have uh, built the nest, laid the eggs, incubated the clutch, reared the young, which is only about two to three weeks 
get them up to, to being fledged, and then to give them a quick kind of tour around the district, which is another kind of 10 days of fortnight. Usually that tour around the district is uh, at the hands of the father, not the mother. You think, well, are songbirds poor mothers? No, they're not. They're excellent mothers, but they've got a busy task because they are actually going to try and raise a second brood. So that's why daddy gets the job of trying to kind of usher the young ones around and show them the neighbourhood. So once all that's done, guess what? The adults have to renew their plumage, as all birds do. Their plumage is now worn out. Their offspring have got nice, new, shiny plumage, so they don't have to worry about changing plumage, not for quite a few months. So the adults then molt and fly off back to, in this, this example, Africa. They leave the young ones behind. So if you're a young willow warbler or a chiff chaff or a flycatcher or so many other things, you have to make that journey completely by yourself. So the only way you're going to know where you have to go is, is if something tells you that, and that something is in your genes, it's in your head. And the genetic information is encoded and it's transmitted from adults to offspring. So So the term bird brain is a complete misnomer. Total misnomer. And not to be uncharitable to my my favourite subjects, the birds of the planet, but the, the young ones in particular are robots or automatons because if you're born... And within a few weeks, you're going to swap from uh, sort of a reed bed in County Louth, say if you're, if you're a sedgewater, to a wetland in West Africa. You don't have much time to kind of, you know, hone your skills or experiment or, or Google <laughs> the route and so on. So you're born smart up to a certain extent. You're born smart in as much as you know where you're going to go, where you're going, even though you haven't been there. You know uh, how to fatten up for the journey. And bear in mind that uh, species, some species travel huge distances, other species travel relatively short distances, other species, as I've already mentioned, such as the swallows, do it in a series of shorter hops. So the fuel for the journey is the bird's fat. So even the fattening regime also falls under genetic control. So if that young bird happens to be a sedge warbler from County Louth, and sedge warblers specialise in making their migration in one or two huge hops, several thousand miles in one go. So to get ready for that flight, the bird needs to know that it's got enough fuel on board. And in the case of the young, of the young sedge warbler, uh, it's, it tops in at about sort of 13 grams. Now, the fuel for the journey, that is not going to be sufficient. So its genetics tell it to, to eat like crazy, eat like mad, and in a very short space of time, it doubles its weight. So now it's actually 26 grams, but that is enough for that individual of that species to make the journey. Whereas our young swallows, because they only only fly for a day and then rest, they never actually never fatten to, to excess. Isn't that interesting? But I have to ask you something that's crossed my mind as you say that. Okay, you have it in the brain, the genetics. You build up the fuel, the resources to go. But hold on a minute. That surely isn't enough in its own right, both of those combined. There must be something else. There have to be other factors, aren't there? Well, one obvious one is how, how do the young ones that they've fattened up properly, they know that they have got to arrive in Senegal or Chad or Mali for the wintertime, um, but how do they find a way? So that's also part of this fantastic conundrum. And uh, 
Instinct was one handy kind of phrase which is bandied around by you know previous generations of ornithologists which kind of ex- explained this great journey. But the other thing which... Uh, the other assumption that was made by us, you know, Homo sapiens, you know, top dog of the planet, uh, people assumed that if we could find a way around the planet by using the sun during the day and the stars at night, that that information must be the same information which birds and other wildlife taps because they couldn't possibly be any more intelligent than us. They couldn't possibly have worked out a smarter system and they couldn't possibly have tapped other things which we cannot tap. But in fact, it's taken a long, long time. And in, in fact, why it's been an ex- why it's an exciting time for me to be around is because discoveries are com- have come thick and fast in the last twenty years, and there's been widespread recognition that birds use, for example, uh, an ability to sense the Earth's magnetic field. In fact, for birds, not only to sense it, but this sounds like kind of sort of Jules Verne stuff. They can actually see it. So the Earth's magnetic field gives them uh, a direction and an orientation. They also tap the pattern of the night sky in as much that across the night sky you will see uh, what's called polarised light. It's like, a, it's like a kind of a halo of light in the sky at dawn and dusk, which conveniently is orientated north-south. So if you can see that, there's a handy reference for you. The other thing which... Uh, is remarkable is that uh, to a certain extent people were right when they guessed that uh, by looking at the stars at night you could navigate. Well, yes, the birds do look at the stars at night and they do use that as a navigation, but they actually don't bother to learn the constellations because all they need to know is the rotation of the night sky because at the central point of the rotation there is, in the northern hemisphere, there is a single star. People might know it as called Polaris or the pole star. So if you were to kind of stand and look at Polaris and lift your camera and let let the camera take a picture, but the, but the picture took maybe, say, 10 seconds or a minute to expose the film or the digital image, you would find that Polaris is the only star which doesn't move. The rest of the firmament of the dark skies, they all move, and they leave a trace, of a little sort of like a, a white trace line in, in the sky around the single pole star. So... Birds realise that the sky rotates at night and if they look and see the point of rotation, they know that that's north. So that also gives them an orientation. So between the position of the pole star, the rotation of the night sky, this this kind of effect called polarised light, and they can sense the direction of the Earth's magnetic field. And not only do they have all those abilities, but they can actually chop and change from one to the other. Say it's a horrible cloudy night, you know, murky, misty, bad weather. Well, they're not going to even see the stars. So in that case, they think, OK, let's go for let's go for the Earth's magnetic field tonight. So they have the backup as well as the, uh, the kind of all of the building. My God, and here were we thinking that we knew everything Homo sapiens, as you said, and our sat-nav were not at the races, folks, with our feathered friends. Isn't he fascinating? Anthony McGeehan's with me. The book is called To the Ends of the Earth, Ireland's Place in Bird Migration. And we're going to tweet a little more after the break. Are you into our feathered friends? I have a very special guest on Late Lunch today with me, Anthony McGeehan, and his new book, I'm telling you, I love, I just love following bird life in my garden. I feed them. I'm interested when 
I'm out walking and even abroad. This book is brilliant. To the ends of the earth, Ireland's place in bird migration. I have one copy to give away. The man himself will sign it for you. It'll be a collector's item in years to come. Do you want this book? Here's the question. Which is Ireland's most popular garden bird? Which is Ireland's most popular garden bird? I want your answers to that one. Do you want a clue? Will I give them a clue? Anthony, do they need a clue for that? I will, I'll give them a choice. Will I? One of two. Will oh, I make I it easy? Yes, it all helps. Go ahead. Okay. Please. Is it the robin or the blackbird? Which is the most popular garden bird in Ireland? Okay. The most common, most popular, whatever those. Not most common. Most common. It's common. I better get that phrase. The most common garden bird in Ireland. You'll see them all over the place. Robins or blackbirds? What's your answer? 086-1800-658. WhatsApp, it's free or text. Either way, 086-1800-658. Do they use physical structures on Earth at all, birds, in their migrations? They do. The landmarks uh, are learned as in the course of the bird's kind of travels. And the young ones... Uh, are going to be receptive to everything they see during that first year. Even though their journey's end may be at a place where they've never been before, they're constantly aware of everything which they, that which they encounter en route. And in fact, uh, most birds will have to find somewhere to halt before they reach journey's end so that those places are defined as stopovers. So a stopover is somewhere which has met your requirements. So if you're a robin which is kind of flying from, say, uh, Finland to Ireland, which does happen, uh, you're not going to fatten up to make the, that flight in a single hop. You're going to kind of fly a short distance over the Baltic and stop somewhere, say, in North Germany. When you get to that part of North Germany, you're going to look for a nice area for a dense, a dense hedge, a nice piece of woodland, some of which is safe. Uh, you're going to stay there for maybe two or three days. You're going to fatten up because you haven't, you've expended the fuel on the first leg and now you need to top up and get yourself back into you know fighting shape for the next part of the journey so you're going to look for places where there's lots of food and you're going to remember those spots and uh, when birds first kind of pause on migration they do have to find somewhere which kind of meets those those requirements so that's all logged and uh, the next year if the bird survives it will try and repeat the successful journey that it made in its first year of kind of trial and error. So basically they do, and they're important to them. Now, what I didn't really realise till I read your book and wasn't quite aware of, blackbirds. You mentioned the robin there, thrushes. I've had thrushes in my garden this winter. They've been there for a few weeks. Haven't seen them in the last couple of weeks. A lot of these birds migrate into Ireland from Scandinavia and that as well. But you said we have very few native birds, Anthony. But have we resident blackbirds and thrushes and robins that stay here all the time? We do. We have we have residents of all those species, particularly blackbirds, uh, but for some for reasons which which people uh, even through I can't properly understand. When our local blackbirds uh, raise a family, the, those young ones disperse from that breeding site and will move away for the first autumn in the winter time. Now they may not travel sort of you know, thousands of miles. They may move say from from Northern Ireland to to sort of County Wexford or over into Southern Britain or France or Spain. And some do get, get as, as far away as Iberia and even North Africa. Uh, but when they're doing that, come the end of the of the, the summertime, when, when autumn kicks in, all of the blackbirds, much higher proportion of the blackbirds in the northern countries across Scandinavia, they have to travel and they have to get out because the weather the weather 
turns cold. There's <coughs> there, there's no earthworms anymore. Once they eat out the available berries, then they kind of move to mild conditions, longer daylight to come here. So they seem to actually fill the boots, <coughs> fill the habitat that the local birds have uh, <laughs> abandoned. So the locals could theoretically have stayed here for the wintertime. Uh-huh. But it seems in the nature of things that adults uh, expect their young to disperse to go out and kind of, you know, sort of find on their own three feet. And come the next breeding season, those young orientate back to where they were raised. But the kind of benefit of all of this system is that the young ones are are sampling other habitats in other places, which may actually be a better bet for them in the future. And particularly if you're a male versus a female, you will actually want to know where there's another good piece of habitat, which was not only good enough to sort of sustain you, but good enough for you to set up a territory, to to woo a mate and to raise a family. So they're birds, irrespective of whether they're residents or whether they're, they're migrants, are always looking to improve their lot. They're always seeking advantage. And that kind of throws up the old contradiction. Uh, and the overall sort of scheme of things, it seems to work. So the they so the robins it. in my back garden. I was I went to the garden each weekend. I have little raised beds, and I'm getting ready for the spring. There was two of them with me again the other day. Three of them actually a couple of weeks ago. Are, are they natives? Are those robins living in my area? Yes, robin is a, a nice example of some uh, native robins here in Ireland tend not to leave the country, mm. and they do tend to stick around the local spot. And in fact, there's a lot of data uh, from ringing recoveries down the years, and it shows that robins in Ireland and in Britain are defined as being fairly sedentary, so they don't go that far. Mm. The age class which does move further, of course, are the young ones. And, you know, Irish birds have the, the, the nice mild climate. That's why they don't have to move too far. But if you do get a cold snap in the wintertime, they pay the price because they either move or if they kind of are unable to escape the cold, then many robins die. Mm. It's a small bird. It doesn't have a lot of kind of sort of excess fat to tide it through a hard time. So when you look to Scandinavia, if we were conducting this interview in Norway, you know, one likely kind of scenario would be to say, oh, uh, it's so quiet here at the moment. There's no bird song. I uh, can't wait until April till the robins come back. We talk about the swallows come back. The Scandinavians talk about the robins come back, the blackbirds come back, the everything comes back. So Scandinavia's robins are migrants and their their lifestyle is rather different from our robins. For one thing, they're quite shy. They're quite wary. So if you're in Stockholm or Helsinki and you see a, a robin in the neighbourhood, well, you probably won't because they're quite wary. Um, so they they are uh, programmed to migrate to Western Europe and in Southern Europe. And in fact, um, in Britain and less so Ireland, but on the east coast of Britain and in the northern Isles, such as the Shetland Isles, uh, robin migration is quite a, a, a part of the autumn time. And you get influxes robins, which are the Scandinavian birds heading across the North Sea to escape the cold of Scandinavia. So in Ireland, we are blessed really in a way that we live in a mild generally temperate climate very attractive to birds from near and far to come here and I know we may be bemoaned that we don't have a lot of native species but we're so lucky we get a glimpse of so many don't we? We do I mean we're like a, a rock in the current you know the ebb and flow of migration kind of uh, stops by 
right throughout the whole year. I mean, our, our swallows are here for the summertime, but in the wintertime we host particularly the wildfowl from Northern Europe and from Iceland and from Greenland. They're here because we are ice-free. We have lots of estuaries, lots of wetlands, we have lots of food. In the springtime, other birds kind of leave Africa and head for the Arctic. So they don't breed in Ireland at all, but they pass through. So you get this wonderful turnover. You get the autumn visitors, the, winter, the birds here for the winter time, and then all the hosts come back for the summertime to breed. So it's really a kind of a, a part of the world which is, which is on the crossroads. So we get the benefit of, uh, of, of the great kind of pulse of migration, the ebb and flow. And there's no time of year when there's not something kind of passing through or not something unusual to look for. I think that's the most brilliant thing about this country. And there's a message from Anthony today, which are robins in your garden and the others as well. Put out the food. If it gets a little bit hard, you'll save them and you'll keep them with you and you'll hear them singing as uh, the sun sets, getting later each day at the moment. I want to recommend this book to you again. It's brilliant. I absolutely loved it. To the Ends of the Earth, Ireland's Place in Bird Migration by Anthony McGeehan. It's insightful. It's brilliant about all the species it covers and it really does put you in the picture about an aspect of this wonderful world that we live in with our feathered friends. I have one copy to give away. Anthony will sign it. The question today, Ireland's most common garden bird is what? We've mentioned them several times there. There's been loads of clues the last few minutes. This is the blackbird or the robin. Answers to 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. We're getting loads in at the moment. Keep them coming. We'll pick somebody before the end of the show. It's been great to meet you again. Wish you well with the book and your continued joy of birds. Lovely to meet you again. Thanks very much for... The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Now open in Dundalk beside the Dundalk Retail Park. The nearly new sale is now on at Blackstone Motors Dundalk. Listening to that lady talking is uh, is like her just talking about me because that is exactly me, says the late lunch listener. Yes, that was Lorraine McKeever who uh, joined us earlier on, Simplified Living. She was talking about decluttering and that we have too much that we don't need. And thank you indeed for that nice message. I'd say it reflects what a, a lot of people, or the situation a lot of people find themselves in with too much in their homes. All Louise late lunch listeners love their wildlife, don't they? Especially the birdies. They do. Oh we're my getting, we're god! We're actually getting clippets and everything in video <laughs> clips and WhatsApp. We're getting everything on the boards. I have to say, Anthony McGeehan's book. If you know somebody who loves birds and uh, are into them in any way, if you wanted to give them a gift, that book is tremendous. It really is. Do you love garden birds yourself, or do you pay any attention to them, Louise? Or are they just there, or what? Uh, they're just there, I think, at the minute. It just depends. You'll we do try and feed them. I, I remember know. getting, and I'm not too sure about this, but I know uh, somebody once gave me a tip. You know when you fry something and there's leftover grease in the pan? Mm-hmm. And if you let it set and yeah. you add oats, porridge oats, and leave it outside, that'd be right? You are an ornithologist and I never knew it. You yes, sell it. absolutely. That's so true. If you let the fat in the pan go hard at all, even put that out by itself, they'll they'll feed on it. Especially in, in hard times, in hard weather. But if you're so good like you and add the little extra to it. The porridge uh, Oh, they absolutely love that. But it is important. It, I know it's milder these few days, but every morning I try and go out. Now, I ground feed. I don't have feeders. But I definitely have a cather of them that come there every morning and they're expecting something. But the robins, oh, again, the weekend mm. I was in the garden and they're right beside me. They really are. They're so friendly and not afraid of you, you know, but they're just waiting for you. 
to turn a little bit of soil where there's worms and they get stuck mm-hmm. in then at this stage. I have to say, I'd know the robin and I'd, there's maybe three or four other birds and that's about it. I'll have to start paying mm, more attention to you the will. skies. You will. No, but they're, they're fascinating when you get to know the different type of birds and you see them visiting your garden. I know for anybody that feeds them, it's a great, great hobby to sit and just watch them, especially if you're feeders as well. You'll get, you know, put the right seeds in, the Niger seed, you'll get the goldfinches coming into you. Right. You'll get, you know, out here out right. front, you know, a bird box out on the tree in the car park. Yeah. I saw the blue tit at it the other day. The blue tit's nest in there. Now, I'm just wondering, should we open it and clean it out? But they seem to be in and out, so they're getting ready. They found used a home. to park under it. Yeah. <laughs> And I'd say you've got plenty of stuff from up in that tree (laughs) because that's a great nesting place for crows and they will just drop on every car that's parked below. You found that out to your cost, didn't you? I did. Yeah, they say it's for luck. They say when a, if you get bird shit on your clothes, it's lucky. Yeah. Or in your hair. Did you ever I, hear that? I did, but I still haven't won the lottery. Well, hold, hold on a minute. Hang Let, on, I met you. <laughs> Thanks, Louise. Uh, maybe you'd win 10 or 24. The lotto, you might need a lot of it on top of you, <laughs> dropped on you to win the lottery. I'll stand out there <laughs> under that tree for three hours. <laughs> Would it work? I wonder. Anyway, the most common bird in Irish gardens is the wee robin. Robin is the answer we were looking for. And we, I mean, we got loads and loads of answers in today by WhatsApp, text and on the phone and everything. So we're going to give the book today when we whirl the wheel. A name comes out here, a number comes out and it's for... Pat Cullen. Pat Cullen, that book is yours. Robin, right answer. You got that as well. Thanks to everybody who was in touch with us on that one. I have another little giveaway before we head to the break. Irish singer-songwriter Brian Kennedy is playing the Crescent Concert Hall in Drogheda on Saturday the 16th of February. And for tickets and all upcoming events, see crescentconcerthall.ie or you can call to the ticket outlets at the Trinity Quarter and Ariosa Coffee Shop in Drogheda. So if a pair of tickets for Brian Kennedy to give away, would you like to go and see Brian in concert? He's one fine singer, he's one great performer. Coming to the Crescent Concert Hall in Drogheda, 16th of February question is, in which Irish city was Brian Kennedy born? Where was Brian Kennedy born in Irish city? I want to know the name please. 086 658 WhatsApp or text as soon as you can and we'll uh, give a pair of tickets to somebody listening to Late Lunch this afternoon. Next up on the show, if you're into your animals and caring for animals and rescued animals, the loud SPCA are looking for people to help and if they don't get help they're in big trouble. Fiona Squibb with us next. Spotted a Facebook post in recent days and I'll just read a line from it. It says if we don't get some help we'll have to close. Yes it is that dire as I just cannot be everywhere. The words of Fiona Squibb from the Loud Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals and she's on the line. Afternoon Fiona. Afternoon, how are you? I'm good. Is it really that dire? Well, it was very dire, but since I put up the post, we've had quite a few people have actually offered to help. Right. So Um, it's looking a little better as we speak today. Now, tell us about this position, because you had a volunteer, obviously a key volunteer who left you, yes? Mega, yeah, mega. He was there. Like, nearly seven days a week. Obviously, he wasn't there seven days a week, but it felt like it anyway. And anything you wanted done, he could turn his hand to anything. He was brilliant with the animals, and he's just got a full-time job now. So, you know, he has to say bye-bye and obviously take the work. Absolutely. So, who or what are you looking for? What does somebody need to commit to you? Well, we were really trying to get people that can give one or two days, at least, 
um, because we need a bit of continuity in what goes on. You know, people coming in um, maybe on a Tuesday and not not again till the following Tuesday, they actually don't really know what's going on. Mm. So from their own point of view, it's easier if they do a couple of days together. So, um, and then they can, they can figure out what's going on in the place. And then it helps us as well with a bit of more continuity. Now, we do have somebody from Tooth at the moment, which is great because we have her three days a week. Um, but we just need extra help. We can't leave one person there on their own. There has to be two to three people there um, from half nine in the morning till half four in the afternoon, seven days a week. So if I'm on a two scheme, I can take up a position with yourselves or through twos, which is it? Through twos, yeah. Okay. They do, they do 19 and a half hours a week. Oh. If they've been on the dole for more than a year. Yeah. Okay. I think that's what it is. Um, and then they don't have to sign on for the year that they're with us. They just come and work for us. And if I don't go through twos, can I still uh, get in touch with you and inquire as to what I can do for you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we need people, um, not not just the people who are there for the animals, but we do need handy people as well. There's lots of odd jobs that occur from time to time. Mm. And the one that's leaving was able to kind of turn his hand to most things. Right. Which, which you know, obviously that's going to be a big hole because... I can't do them. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Very honest. <laughs> if you're on a two scheme, obviously there's there's payment involved, and that's worked into the rest of your week, etc. With your entitlements. Yeah. If yeah. somebody comes directly to you, are you in the business of paying people, or what's the story no, there? I'm afraid it's all voluntary. Voluntary. Okay. Yeah, I'm voluntary, as you know yourself. Yes. For the last what, seventeen years. Yeah, I know. I yeah. know, Fiona. Seems uh, like an eternity. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. You are one of uh, life's really good people and I know uh, you do such great work and uh, you give of your time free uh, to all the animals that you've rescued over the years. It's just uh, incredible the numbers but look, you you do pick up uh, uh, the tab don't you, or the slack when people don't want dogs or abandon them or whatever you're there. We do, we do, we do and we we also help out people who maybe have to go into respite or something like that. We're out in the community completely yeah. Uh, not just taking dogs off people as in surrenders or not just doing cases. Um, we are there to help as well and we do help people out as much as we can. Mm. Um, like, like we have had cancer patients and we've minded their animals till they come back out again. Um, and we've worked with other units within the community where we've helped them out. Yeah, no, you do great work. I know that, and your godsends uh, to people when they find themselves in uh, difficulties, like you yeah. mentioned there. Tell us about the guinea pig uh, at Dowdles Hill. What happened there? That was dreadful. They, um, the fellows who, the council workers that work up there at the graveyard, they found it in the morning, but a lady had seen it uh, late in the evening the night before and um, got in touch with me the next morning to tell me it was there. Like, but either didn't lift it, but as she said, she was driving down and couldn't stop. Mm. Um, so the boys found it and I was contacted by the county council but as it turned out one of them there actually said they had a guinea pig and they were going to take it as well so it was safe in the end but I mean leaving it out there in the cold night that the world it was just ridiculous so I somebody mean, pig at home is inside in the kitchen yet somebody got a guinea pig uh, obviously yeah. around Christmas time yeah. and they they just took the guinea pig and the cage and left it yeah. on the side of the road at Dowdles Hill yeah left it up there by the skips yeah what kind of people are we talking oh, well, about? Sure. How often do we say that? <laughs> in the name of God, like, is there yeah. no humanity in, in somebody that would do something that to a poor creature in a cage and the weather so cold, you know, it wouldn't yeah. be. 
It's a miracle yeah. it survived. Anyway, all's well that ends well. One of the boys uh, took it themselves. They did. They took mm. it themselves. So what, what, fine, what, yeah. what about Christmas just passed, Fiona? Are we, uh, is the message getting through? Is the penny dropping about not giving puppies as gifts for Christmas? I can only say from our point of view here in Loud that the penny seems to have dropped, as you say. We don't find hardly anything now from the Christmas dropout. Not like we used to about six years ago. Yeah. Um, it, it seems to be now that people just don't. And I, a lot of people got in touch with me before Christmas and said, we're just waiting until after Christmas to see what you get. Mm. So maybe maybe it is hitting home, but it's not around the rest of the country. I mean, the rest of the country, some of the rescues there are in dire straits with so many coming in. Mm. There's an awful lot of people surrendering dogs at the minute. Why is that? Uh, I don't know whether it's just the economic, but a lot of it is to do with landlords, which is a pain in my craw, I'm afraid. Mm. Not, um, not being able to keep a a, a dog in a, yeah. an apartment or a house or whatever, yeah. Just mm. a house, yeah. I mm. mean, surely they can come to some arrangement about it, but obviously not. And they've, they've really laid it on thick. And, of course, there's so many more people going into rented accommodation now compared to what there was. Mm. So Big issue. Yeah, big mm. issue. I mean, there are people who surrender for different reasons, like they're ill or they can't manage the animal, which they've got a, something wrong with them, you know, and they can't manage that's fine. Um, and anyway, it'd be better just to hand it in rather than dump it. Mm, absolutely. Don't yeah. ever dump. Like, yeah. that's what uh, uh, organisations like yourselves are, are, are there for, Fiona. So, look, uh, the message today is Loud SPCA need assistance. They're looking for people in all aspects. As Fiona was saying there, if you're a, a tradesman or if you're something that you can give that will help as well, but really volunteers with your time yeah. and then people yeah. who are over a year uh, without work on the two scheme, they'd like to talk to as well. What's and the best way to contact you? Um, mostly by um, email is the easiest way, and um, that's on info at livespca.ie. Okay, that is the best way, that's and the best way really to get me, unless somebody knows me somewhere, or you know, you know what I mean. They yes, know somebody who knows me. <laughs> oh well, listen here as well, no one. Has, you know what? Ass, I know. <laughs> it's you that said it. I wasn't going to offer it. <laughs> I'm glad you filled in. Lean the Barney. You filled in the the gap at the end of the sentence there. Anyway, you're fantastic. I have so much admiration for you. Go on. If they are volunteering, they have to be over sixteen. Okay, that's the. Because that's our public liability. Yeah. 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 Oh, I understand. The schools, but they come with their own liability when they're doing ty and stuff like that. So. Okay, brilliant, brilliant, yeah. brilliant. Well, look at we wish you well. Thank you for taking Thank the call. You very much. Not Thank at you. all. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's Fiona Squibb there, Inspector with the Loud SPCA. Does does wonderful, wonderful work. Info at loudspca.ie. If you want more information or want to volunteer, or want to help out in any way, they would love to hear from you. And it's just such a worthwhile uh, volunteering. Um, aspect of one aspect of volunteering in life. Have we a winner, Louise, for Brian Kennedy? He's coming to the Crescent to play in Drogheda, the Crescent Concert Hall on the 16th of February. Crescentconcerthall.ie if you want tickets. Where was Brian Kennedy born? He was born in Belfast. Yes, Belfast he was born. And a pair of tickets, Louise, to who? Tickets are winging their way to Anne Wilkinson in Clarehead. Well done to you, Anne. Those pair of tickets are yours and enjoy that concert. And we'll have another pair to give away on late lunch tomorrow afternoon. I feel the need, the need for Codaline. Is it there? Can I feel it? Is it coming? A song to leave you with today on Late Lunch. Thanks to our guests. Thanks for your company. See you tomorrow at half one. It's Codaline to say goodbye on Monday. 
Broken bottles in the hotel lobby. Seems to me like I'm just scared of never feeling it again. But I know it's crazy to believe in silly things, but it's not that easy. I remember it now. It takes me back to when it all first started. But I've only got myself to blame for it, and I accept it now. It's time to let it go, go out and start again. But it's not that easy. But I've got. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com/trip for free shipping and three hundred sixty-five day returns.